Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today's guest, my old friend and someone who's been here before, and I get some of the best feedback, Tony, about the episode that you did. You were really inspiring to people. Uh, the great Tony Gilroy writer, director, producer. Um, his credits are uh, from basically creating the Bourne franchise to writing and directing Michael Clayton to rescuing the Star Wars movie before Ryan Johnson's Star Wars movie and um, now has written a movie that is coming out in the next week called Beirut, starring John Hamm and Roseman Pike. I watched the movie and I really dug it. Congratulations. Thank you. I want to get to Beirut and how that happened because I know that it was an older script, which I, I, I didn't know anything about it. And I watched the, the movie and I saw Ted Field's credit and I was like, Tony wrote this a long time ago. 1991. 1991. That's just incredible to me. Yeah. I wasn't even married yet. And today is my 27th anniversary. It's your Beirut anniversary. It is amazing. <laughs> um, so I want to start here because um, the last time you were on was a few years ago, and it was before you'd done a bunch of this stuff. You were in a period um, where you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do next, and you weren't that sure. And um, I'm curious, like, how are you spending your days lately? Like, do you write every day? Do you walk around? Like, just what's a typical day? And, you know, you're one of the most successful uh, screenwriters of our time. And for my money, I always tell people, you know, I think among the very, very best. But so, like, what's a day look like for you now? Um, there's no, uh, there's no, you know, absolute pattern to how it works. Um, it depends on what phase I'm in. I did a lot, a lot of writing this year. Um, too much writing, and, uh, and and my effort this year is going to be all about trying to get out of my room and bring some of these things out. But um, my day, I, I I get up very early. I typically get up extremely early, uh, and particularly if I'm really engaged in something, I get up really early. Uh, I will either go immediately. This is a new thing in the maybe the last four or five years. I will go immediately to my desk. Sometimes oh, I love that immediately, like just coffee and go right there. And that first hour, two hours was really interesting to me. Um, absent that, I'll get up and I'll go and I'll go to the gym. And I'm, I'm a kind of, I use the, the gym for me is kind of like, a, I'm going to work out and everything. I've been doing it for 30 years obsessively. I do it every day of the week. But I, it's, I don't have a train. Like the idea of trainers and talking to people and, and headphones, like I really use it to work. I, I, it, it's really kind of like planning my day. Um, so you're I'm thinking doing. you're not trying to lose yourself when you're working out. You're actually running. You're running. I do stuff a lot of work. I do a lot of work rolling around on the floor, like planning out what I'm going to do that day and and what I think about things. And 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 I'm so used to. Uh, and I think we talked about this before. Like, like I'm used to the idea of a day as a blank check. That's my entire life has been that way. So you watch people scramble when they they're in between jobs or something, or they decide to they decide oh, I'm going to write something now and they stop work and you watch them flounder around and try to figure out what it's so baked into my life I, uh, to make a day productive and how to, and I sort of, you know, I orchestrate my day, what I'm going to do. Um, and it may have a lot of different things in it, but, but I, uh, on and a they, writing day, I'll write a, a great writing day would be like doing uh, a really exciting hour of something in the morning and then going to the gym and the middle of the day just kind of blows. But really by the end of the day, you know, really deep, being deeply back engaged in again and going really late sometimes, you know, coming home, having dinner, go back to the desk after dinner and, 
and, and just wanting to be there. That's Even, a great writing day. That's, that's a, a rare that's a, thing. Yeah, those are, those that's are a best. rare thing. I mean, that's, those are zone right. days, that's right? As you're, you yeah, that's as you're in, in the flow, yeah. When you can't, you can't get it out of your head, basically. That's what you I, that's what I, it. that is all I'm going for. That is my, that is my, that is my, uh, that is my uh, El Dorado. Well, that's the, that's when you feel, that's when you feel like a real writer, right? I mean, that's when you feel like a, or like an art, I mean, I when it takes you over, is when for, for me anyway, like uh, those moments when you, you're you're um, it's not like you make the decision to go back to your desk. It's just like you're in it. I just want to be there. Right. I want to like make the thing. I'm really happy. And 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 I think that we talked last time. I think it's one of the most interesting interviews I ever did. I, I didn't. I listened to it a while ago, and it's just I was so in the weeds at that point, and it, the 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 melancholy of it really, really, really was sort of overwhelming. But but it but it's accurate. It's really accurate. But a lot of people related to that because if someone who's accomplished what you have could have a feeling of I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't yeah. have the great. I don't have the idea I love. I love the feel. I mean, you know, the thing you said that everyone talks about is that feeling of walking around New York to feel special, and when you have a right. secret, chasing after that feeling. I think we can all relate to the idea. Anyone who's like really wants to be good at anything can relate to that when you, feeling of. Uh, of wishing you had a thing you felt right and you're on the down about. when you're on the downhill run you know after you've pushed the rock up the hill and it gets harder and harder to push it up the hill because you, you i mean you look when you started season three you i mean you look at it and go oh my god i actually know how much blood i'm gonna have to give by the time this is over and it just seems absolutely impossible and the idea of starting some scripts and you you know you finish a script this is always the way and everybody said you finish the script and you're like Man, I just finished the thing. You know, why don't I just take this? I'm just going to keep rolling. I'm not going to stop. I'll do three other scripts because I'm I'm in the groove now. Why should I stop? And like, I'm not going to answer the phone. I'm going to do this whole thing. And you're like, and you don't because you just don't. And then you know, a month goes by, a couple of weeks go by. Oh, I got to start again. You're like, oh my god, I I I, my eyes were bleeding by the time I finished that last one. I can't. I don't have that much more blood in my eyes left. Oh, that's really smart and so just, true. Because also you. By the you've earned it. By the time you're in the last, whatever it is, eighth of a script or the last third oh. of a, you're yeah, it's <laughs> the a, copa. Yeah, you're rewriting it. No, too. you got a ringside seat. It's like man, bring me. No, you've already tipped the maitre d. You've got the great table. You're already there. Man. Yeah, so it's totally different. And then in the beginning, yeah. that's a good analogy. You should write because you're you know that's. Um, no, I know. You, you, we all, we I all. I just finished something, so I, I'm like in that phase where I really should go back to my office this afternoon and just like just keep on going. Well, starting the night, that was like um, Trollope did that. Oh, he, I know. You know, he would start, he would finish, and he because he had his word count, and if he finished the I one know, novel, he would literally just start the next novel right then until he got to the word count. I don't I understand. Know. They didn't have the internet. They did not have the distraction of the internet, but they also had to do it. Well, they also didn't have to rewrite that much. It was in pen. You kind of were like, you look at the, you look at, you know, they're never, nobody went over everything 38. I mean, maybe Thomas Wolfe. I don't know what they. Anthony Trollope. He didn't I have to rewrite no, that much. No, they kind of nail it. And maybe there's a little note in the margin. And but, Well, the, uh, to, the, the Wolf thing is like the great, he would stand up and write. Right, and then his editor, Max Perkins, would pick oh, the I, stuff out of I watched that the, movie and I got nauseous. Yes. I just read the book. I never saw the movie. I read the book no. when I was really young. Oh, it seemed amazing to me. Yeah. Um, has that so has that thing happened lately? Um, I wrote this down to ask, like where you've walked around feeling special, like I have a thing, like you got it. 
Yeah, I worked on something. I worked on this movie this year that I just sort of finished up. And, uh, and uh, I, I really knew uh, quite a bit about it before I started. But there was a moment along the way where a couple things in the script linked up in a way that I hadn't anticipated. Once again, I'm juggling some fancy timelines and some different things and I wasn't exactly sure how and there came a moment where you know like right before Christmas where I was like oh my god look at this little fancy thing that just showed up that's what a happy thing for me and that made me realize you know it's sort of like you're on the boat and you see the you know what do they see the bird well they see a bird we have to be close to land you know it's like you, you, you sort of uh, I really, at that point, uh, the endorphins started flowing. I'm like, wow, this is cool. I like this way better now. Yeah, that's the best when the endorphins start flowing. It yeah. really is an amazing thing. You chase it and chase it. Yeah. Um, do you? So that thing you you said about a second ago about finishing and thinking like I should start again, but then having to start again and you realize what it uh, cost you uh, last time. I know. But are you able to gin up confidence more easily in the shadow of all the, even in the last couple of years, the incredible sort of success your work has had? You know, you went in and rescued that Star Wars thing, and we can talk about that later. But, or is every time, because you're right, starting season three is a weird thing. Dave and I know we can do it, right? Right. So the benefit, exactly. the added benefit is, I actually, this season knew we would get to the end and we would have figured it out. Right. But at the same time, it's like, oh, my God, but I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to feel like a failure a lot of days because I'm going to feel like I can't solve the problems. It's just such and an I know effort. It. Yeah. It's but are you effort. confident you're going to come out the other side and it's going to be kick ass? Or do you uh, wait for that moment to happen in the middle? I'm trying to think if I have any confidence that's like, like, like on tap. I certainly don't. My confidence is on tap about making films at this point. Like how to yes. make a film. Like whether there's 700 people working for me or whether it's, you know, whether we, whether it's Nightcrawler and we have nine, you know, whatever. There's nothing about the filmmaking process anymore. The production, the making of films that scares me at all. Um, I, and, and, and my CGI intelligence is, well, it's probably, it's probably eight, 10 months old, which means it's seven generations back. But, you know, yeah. like uh, my filmmaking chops as a producer direct like those are like I, that never goes away i'm like yeah man i know right. how to you do walk into that. a set you understand but, how to solve the problems yeah and i feel pretty good about that but um when it comes to writing it's just the same old sad story that we told four years ago when i was in here it's just the same old sad thing you just you just never know who's going to show up that day and and it, and 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 there are and again the whining is just pathetic because we're so well compensated and everything. So the, the whining is a uh, no. Know, no, the like... whining is inspiring, Tony. Because <laughs> no, dude. Because the fact that people, the the fact that for you it still feels hard, is well, is, some parts of that are harder now. They just that 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 ditch gets deeper. Because also you know, I imagine, you can spot when something's not going to work much more easily. Where when you're younger. And you're writing, you can kind of glide over things, but now you know so much about what can function. Yeah, but that's that's sort of your that's your that's your elderly superpower. That's the compensation yes. for 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 getting older. That's a big advantage, I think. But it, oh, what's the what is it? It's just, it's just boredom. It's just I've got to do something I haven't done before. It's trying to stay inspired. It's trying to stay pissed off. It's trying to stay. It's also watching the landscape and going, you know, how the fuck can I fit into this mess that's out here right now and 
Um, well, that leads to the TV question, which I was going to ask you yeah. later, but I'll ask it now. Why haven't you created your I have. show? No, I have. Well, I mean, I know you worked on House of Cards, which I want to. I want to understand. Yeah, no, no, but that that was no, that was a, that was a lovely gig for me. That was a talking job, a talking memo job. That that really was, and that was an insight into. But it was also an insight into like, you know, because uh, uh, you were like special. Dairy, you look, were essentially you special counsel to. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like oh, well, being the the milk tester at the dairy farm. I mean, you work on a dairy farm. The cows have to go every day. There's no, it's just, it's a grind. I don't think I have the temperament or constitution um, to do 13, to sign on for 13 episodes ad nauseum without a superhero partners, whatever. So the the search for partnerships has been interesting. But um, what really is appealing to me, and I've done it Danny and I did it. I think we had done it when we came to you. We did a very exciting thing that we couldn't get off the ground that we may do some point. But I just wrote one of the things I wrote this over the summer was basically, a, you know, I have seven hours novel, you know, a, a TV novel that I haven't taken to market yet that maybe the next thing I take to market, we'll see how it goes. But I've written that. So that that's very exciting to me. So, yeah, I, I'm way into that. Because it seems like it sets up. I mean, watching. Oh, it's perfect it seems for like me. It sets I up for you it. the writing of the shows. Oh, when I get to a writing room, I'm like. Every time I've ever been to a writing room, I felt like it was the most comfortable place I've ever been. And I just felt like a, I just felt I felt just superhuman in those rooms. I love it. And I had I had two guys in town this week who are helping me on another on another show. And they're really exciting. And, and I was sick for two days and we met for two days. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like hell. And they came up and I I literally absolutely forgot how I felt for six hours and just did story with them. And they left, and I was just like a buzz with it. There's nothing I like doing more than that. Yeah, so I would think you should do. I mean, you no, I love come doing. It. Do it. Like no, I should. know, but it's it's finding the proper place. It's finding the proper thing. Anything I start, and this is again like what a, what a complaint. Anything I start, everyone's like, well, you're going to be involved, right? Everybody's like, you can't. It's really hard. It's dangerous for me to say yes to things in a weird way because of course. you get everyone's like, well, then you'll be here. And but when you talk about the landscape, I've been able to carve that. Maybe have you found the thing that you that you would want to tell the story for ten episodes a season? Yeah, sure. I, uh, but you don't want to do it, yeah, because people would want your voice. That's the thing yeah, about no, this exactly. about this medium. No, I know is your voice. I mean, the moment Beirut starts. So I, I watched the movie yesterday, last night, and I just had the best time watching. It. And I had all these thoughts running through my head. I I know you must have done a dialogue polish. Yes. Now, because well, that's a fascinating thing to talk about. I right? want to hear the whole run. But I was, and we will, I'll ask you granular questions about how that movie came to be because the fact that it's such an old script and now it came to life is great. But I was thinking about, and I'm not going to ruin it, but where that movie sort of goes to, um, Ham, the character John Ham plays, you could have decided to make that a series. Oh my God. Because you, know, you want, there, I want to spend much more time with that character. I'm exquisitely temperamentally and suited to writing for long form television. The responsibilities that come to me when I do that, it means I just literally have, no one's created a situation for me that doesn't look like, you know, uh, 12 months of, of agonizing, backbreaking work along the way. Well, because no you wouldn't want to just spoiled. let it go. You wouldn't want to just let the well, script go. Well, they won't go. let me. No, they, I don't, I don't, anyway. Um, yes. It's complicated, but I'm, I'm deeply involved in it. I, I, I've, 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 I've sketched out. Look, they want to make Duplicity now into a show. I heard they want to do. I refuse to let them do Clayton. That, that I, and then, then Ray Donovan came on. 
<laughs> which I'm not afraid to say anything. I've not got my residual for Ray Donovan. I will uh, say, <laughs> Ann Biederman was working on it for a very yeah. long time. Ann owes yes. me, uh, I haven't seen Ann since that show came on. But hello, funny. Ann. Um, but uh, <laughs> but duplicity, they might turn into a show. Um, and and they, they swear that I can, I can swan about we'll see but but no it's 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 just a matter of uh situation and temperament and uh, timing the moment is brought to you by the hit showtime series billions uh which is uh created by david levine andrew Ross sorkin and me and uh, levine and i are the showrunners it stars emmy winners paul giamatti and damian lewis if you listen to this show you know that um I spend all the time I'm not here basically working on this show and the feedback this season already has been incredible. People are loving uh, the cat and mouse game between Giamatti and Lewis, but also all the action with the other incredible uh, characters. I I can call them incredible because this is a commercial for the show, but um, I do think these actors are amazing and it's a a privilege and a thrill to work with them. Don't miss the, Amazing, awesome new season of Billions with new episodes every Sunday at 10, 9 central, only on Showtime. My listeners can get an extended 30-day free trial of Showtime to catch up on the first two seasons of Billions by entering code MOMENT at GetShowtime.com. The offer expires April 15th, so do it. Download the app today and watch Billions. So, all right, let's talk about Beirut, which within the first, as we say, within the first five minutes, I just felt so comfortable and happy because it was Tony Gilroy characters talking like your characters talk. And um, this voice that you've developed over all this time, seeing it uh, once again, like I really missed it, like a real, because it feels like a real personal movie in a way because of the scale of it. Um, And the ham character just feels really like an avatar. For you and those people that only you really know how to huh. how to create and so can you talk about how it first didn't and then did come to screen and like take as much time as you want but i would start here did you always know that it was one that should get made it's uh i i will be really quick i was making the cutting edge we yeah, were don't shooting be quick. The cut, we were shooting the cutting edge and my first movie's being made this figure skating you know romeo and juliet uh uh Movie and we're shooting in uh, in uh, Toronto and Robert Court. I was I became uh, house sort of house writer for for several different pharaohs in my in my uh, in my life. And the first place I had a home was Interscope, and then I went to Castle Rock and then I went to Universal and I had these different places. But they were my first home and they were making my first film. And Robert and I were very much taken with each other. And Robert. Um, you know, Interscope was a huge, dynastic, 1980s powerhouse. I mean, they made 80 movies. They were all successful. And Robert was a really fascinating guy. He'd been a marketing guy, uh, and he'd been in the CIA. And he was an analyst in the CIA during the Start Talks. And so he and I had all these complicated political talks on the set of this figure skating movie. And we were both, he said, you know, I was always fascinated by the idea of negotiators. He had seen all these negotiators at the Start Talks. And we said, oh, what a great character, character, character. And the Tom Friedman book, Beirut to Jerusalem, had come out. And so says, oh, this is kind of cool and cool and cool. And 
they, while they made tons and tons of films at Interscope, they had not had anything that was in the in the in the fancier neighborhood, you know. And they had no awards films, and they all had, they had aspirations. Ted Field ran it, and they, you know, everybody wants to put on a tuxedo, right? And I well, think they the same s- way they started their music company with Rico Suave, and then it ended up becoming right. a lot of really. Classy, it was a fascinating yeah. place, Interscope, at that point. I mean, you could, Ted Field was a really, you'd go there and, and uh, the people that were in the waiting room were just, you know, it was amazing. politicians and Playboy bunnies. It was really amazing. But they, they had this aspiration to go higher and they saw me, I think, as, a, as a, an inexpensive, smart young guy who was interested in all these things. And so we came up, I said, look, I don't, even then I knew even early on, I knew I, I didn't want to do a real life story. I did not, and that's, that's been a, a lifelong aversion of mine. Um, and I've still never done it. But so the idea was, where can we place a negotiator story in a historical reference and something that's really electric and exciting, where because the movie happened, you don't know it happened. You know, so you can just, it's, it, it happened yes. absolutely accurately, but because the movie happened, it's free and clear. And um, this began for me, you know, because I'd written a bunch of scripts. I'm finally having this movie made, which I'm really proud of and really like, but it's still kind of fucking cheesy. It's a figure skating movie. It's like... Movie means a lot to a lot of people. A lot of know. people, absolutely. And I'm very proud of it, but it wasn't like... And I'm like, oh boy, I gotta like, I gotta get... And they offer this opportunity and I spend literally one entire year. I've never spent a year working that hard on anything. And I spent an entire year on this script. And, and this is pre-internet. So. And you're making up the whole story. You're making up the whole right, story. But I have researching to ha- heavy. But I have to find, like I have to look at, I have to really learn. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a newspaper freak and a news freak. And, I've, and that's part of the reason I'm there. But I literally uh, have to learn everything about the Middle East uh, from the library, from Strand, from you know newspaper clippings, and going to the public library and just accumulating data. And, Strand's and, a bookstore. In New York. Yeah, a bookstore in New York, and and the public library. And I build up this massive library, and I decide that the best place to put this movie is to put it in the winter of 1982, which is just on the eve of the Israeli invasion, because there's so many. Everybody's behavior is is terrible at that moment, except, and I said, oh, I can put my hero here. Everybody's behavior is poor, and my hero will be the hero. And, and I now, and they, they let me go, and I, and, I, and I didn't just write the movie. I wrote two or three different versions of this. There were different versions of this, not like, it was a whole other, at least one completely different version of the script. That you wrote then? Yeah, I wrote all of it during the course of this year. And we, and like the money, like we couldn't find my contract when they came back to make the movie this time. When, when we finally found, like we found my tax return, found out what I was paid. It was like, oh my god, what I was paid for the whole year to do this. And I just, and I built this massive library on Seventy Second Street there, and like all my books, and I learned everything, and and I learned everything there was to know about the winner of that thing, uh, the winner of 1982, and and I wrote the script, and they were so excited. Everybody was so excited. And we went out, and we went out big, and we went to Mel Gibson, and it was all the guys, Wolfgang Peterson, and you know, and 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 and, uh, and who? Oh my God, everybody, all the big, all the big directors at that time, and we just kept getting shot down. We'd get everyone would like get really excited, and then we get shot down, then we get shot down, and after a while, it became really clear that and and. This, this probably would have been like inflammatory to say at the time, it, it, in the same way the movie's become much less inflammatory. Because there's an anti-Israel 
aspect in the film, along the anti-PLO and anti-Reagan White House, but because it was, at that point in time, there was such an aversion to having anything that looked like it was in Hollywood, like it was anti-Zionist at all, it was just kind of radioactive. And the last, it went along for years, and they would perpetually, every now and then, it would, the last person was John Frankenheimer. So this is many years later. It's about six, eight months before he dies. And they call him and go, John Frankenheimer read the script, and it's been sitting here for 10 years, and like, nobody, he wants to, and I'm like, all right. I trundle over to see him, and I tell him this. I go, and he goes, kid, that's not gonna, that, that doesn't bother me. That's nonsense, and that was six years ago. He comes back and he says, I don't know. Um, it looks like it's gonna be a problem to make the movie. And it didn't seem cheap, the movie. Uh, it seemed politically complicated at the time. And I was writing in 1991 about 1982, which is a really bad lens. Like an eight, 10 year lens for period is really uncomfortable. And it just freaking died. Because also away. the long tail just isn't really clear yet. You can't really see it's it. Not even that. It's just not 10 years yeah, ago, not, eight years yeah, ago sure. isn't distant not enough to be sexy, sexy in our times. No. Yes. And uh, man, it just disappeared. And it was a great writing sample for me. It got tons of work from me. It stepped me up in class. It probably got me Dolores Claiborne and different things. And But it was never gonna get made. And it was always like a thing. And, and Interscope's fortunes fell. And uh, at some point, I think it was after we did Clayton, they called Jen and I in. Um, and Robert Court had left. And, and Ted, Ted and uh, this young guy, Mike Weber, who was basically cleaning out the warehouse, trying to monetize the things that were left behind, said, we want to go with this. We're like, sure, go with God. And again, forgotten, forgotten, forgotten. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, they call up and they go, uh, we want to go to Brad Anderson and John Hamm. And I'm like, you guys can do whatever you want What version do. of the script was this? This the was old, still the old version. Yeah. 1991 version. Called, they had different titles, The Green Line and High Wire Act and all these different did it, um Did it always start in 1972? Man, the script, like... Structure was the same. Identical. No characters, no new characters, right. nothing like that. And I would say this whole, this whole experience has been the most incredulous thing that's ever happened to me in the movie business because I just was like, they're never going to get made. They're never going to get those people. And even if they get those people, they're never going to get the money that they need to make this movie. Uh, and yeah. then when they got like, I can't tell you, you know, you can never say how much things cost, but like if I told you how much of the money they made this for, you'd... You'd roll around. You'd, you'd you'd be astonished. I'm like, well, they can't make the movie for that. Sure. They can't make the movie in Tangier for that. They're never going to get other. It's just the whole. I'm thing going has through been amazing. this right now with an old script yeah. and uh, the same exact thing, which was like, okay, they just kept go ahead. To me. Sure, the, exactly what you're talking mm -hmm. about. So they say, do you reread the script then? Yet at that time, did you reread it, or you so, didn't even bother rereading it yet? I am so dismissive—not impolite, but I'm incredibly dismissive. I literally every time I get off the phone, I forget about it the moment I hang up. Yeah, you have to. I'm sure. Like, I don't even. Then they say we've got John, we've got John, and we've got Brad Anderson. Did you know him beforehand? Had you worked with him on anything, or no? I met him at a party or something, but no, I never, I never had a conversation. But he was perfect for it. I'm like, well, that's good. And Brad, I, Brad, I tried to make a movie with before. And, uh, and, and Brad's a warrior, low budget warrior of the highest order. And so, and then they, and I was like, okay, they're still never going to get the money. And what are they going to do? And then like, do we have a budget? And they showed me a budget. I'm like, that's insane. Did you agree at this point to be a producer on it or you had I did. Agreed it was yet? the only way I could get paid. We couldn't find my old contracts. And it was the only way I could even, the only way they could keep me involved at all was to like say, well, we'll make you producer. It's still no, it's not, it's not a money. This is not well, a money job. Clearly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, finally 
they were like really getting ready to like begin pre-production and I was like put up or shut up so I said well all right I need like three weeks to rewrite <laughs> let me read it and think about this let me throw yeah. it up I didn't even have it wasn't even on uh final draft of or anything I had to hold them converted and like and uh and I said oh it's gonna take me I, I think it'd be very vainglorious it'll take me 10 days to rewrite this because it's in really good shape I'm just gonna touch a few things and Brad had some notes that were production things and man, I spent like I bet I spent 10 weeks rewriting it right and it's the most molecular like not as I said nothing is different the same story. I don't introduce any new characters. There's no characters I think that were left out. It, if you if you looked at the two, you'd go, "What did you do?" It still took me like uh, almost two months to go through it. Well, you know so much more about human beings now. I know. Then no, you, you I, do. You just know so much more about people. It was really fat, and you're collaborating with yourself over 25 years. I was literally collaborating with myself from 25 years ago, and I'm admiring. I'm admiring my work from 25 years ago and admiring my scholarship, but I'm also like, oh, dude, <laughs> yes. really? Really? No. You know, and I, when I was, I don't know, how old was I? I don't know, 30, whatever, 35 or something. Like, I, 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 I knew what disappointment looked like, but I did not know what it felt like. Right. And it's a you know, it's me writing way up in a weight class about a, a guy a guy who's had everything fall Failure, apart, and I'm like, like, and I had not had everything fall apart at that point. I was, you know, and and I have at this point have enough 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 uh, enough of a relationship with disappointment that it, it's an entirely different writing experience. So that's part of it. And then having been a filmmaker, having directed, it was way too glib and too much dialogue and I was going for lines instead of truth and um, but I rewrote the whole thing and then still was incredulous okay fine I've done this they're never gonna now they're gonna go to Tangier when I went to Tangier right. for the table read the night before the first day That's of shooting I was just like Susie and I were like I cannot believe this is happening and then when they got through the shoot I'm like this is gonna suck I mean you can't make a movie like it's gonna be it's, what a sad thing all these wonderful people they tried so hard tidy and the cast is really good and, but oh my god this is gonna be, be so sad because it's just gonna look the whole thing's gonna be malnourished and the movie should be made for 30 million dollars and they're making it for, for 12 cents and it's just wow what a sad thing and I can see the rough cut I'm like well this is like oh this is good well the performance I mean they did get every actor is like a home run they're cool. I every know. actor, every one of those I know, people, way deep down in the thing. Like even the three-line government people and I then know. this sort of... I know. It's very... I'm very... Uh, it's, even, uh, I mean, even like the actor whose name I don't know. Um, I mean, Larry Pine is amazing oh in it. I Incredible. Know, Larry Pine's amazing. But even like the bald guy who's the professor... I mean, the, the guy who works at the... Oh, Johnny Coyne. He's getting he's, his own TV show. Well, he now. should. He's great. Oh, my he God. He's a, he was in Nightcrawler, too. He's in Nightcrawler. Yeah. What did he play in Nightcrawler? He plays the... Uh, when when uh, Jake goes into the pawn shop. He's the pawn oh, shop sure. owner. Yeah. yeah. But he's... I mean, each piece of casting is so... Wise. I want to just... It's, it's one craft thing when you said, you know, I was going for lines and not truth. But there are also a lot of lines. So, like, I agree. You're, you're, you let a lot of moments live, um, particularly the moments... You know when the 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 wife of um, the guy who's gone missing right comes to that you you allow us to sort of live without heavy heavy dialogue. There, are, you know, she says a couple of very powerful things. Right. Uh, but then you must also do a past where you then like, well, okay, now that I've done that character work, 
I'm going to like allow it to be zippy because the movie's very zippy. It already had that. It had, it had all the, it had, because it was designed to be an expensive film. You know, it was designed to be a, you know, a, 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 a you know, a really big time 80s yeah, but I'm even, talking about, I'm even talking about the icing of the dialogue. No, like, was, you did come in there. We and actually make had the to dialogue. tone back some of the action and things like that because there just was no money. This movie was made. This movie. Oh, I, I'm not going to say that. But this movie was made uh, so rapidly and in. How many days a, did you guys have to shoot it? I'm sure Brad will talk. Directors like talking about this. I man, it's like. I don't think it's 30 days. 30, right. That's amazing. Days. Yeah, we did that in once. It's so hard. In Tangier. Yeah. During Ramadan. We made Salzer Man 26 During Ramadan. Days. That's yeah, incredible. So the cast, the crew was all hungry all day long. They can't smoke all day right. long. All day long they're Till sort of out. completely deprived in a way. Yeah. And then enriched at night. Very cranky. Yeah. Did you stay? No. I, I was in London on Rogue and it fell right into a, a one day, one weekend. And we flew down to, it's so glamorous, we flew down to Tangier Went to the party that night, went to the table read the next day, went to the first day of shooting, and then went right back to Pinewood the next day. And then you were gone back making Star Wars. Yeah, and I like was like, good luck to you, you poor you poor devils. It was really it was so silly. It was such a it was such a it was such a I mean the difference between the two but things was so Of course extreme. the young oh Tony God. Gilroy wanted it to get made so badly, right? Like your thirty-five-year-old self would have been just oh, I know dancing. Oh no, things happen to you now, and you just go, oh, "My God, I could have lived off this phone That's call off, off for for months, and now you just forget. You're so spoiled and awful, and no, it's, but it's what also you take for granted. You also there's two sides to that, though, right? Like on the other hand, you know that disappointments can move on. Like you can get over. I wish I wasn't quite so jaded. I do think that when I get when I really get excited about something now, I get it's so. It really means so much. When something really excites me, it really is moving something really seismic. Uh, yes, no, we just got the same. I'm telling you, we got this call from this one script that we wrote that we always knew should be made. 23 years ago? No, 10. But 10? Like a real 10. You should wait another 13 years. <laughs> no, fuck no. But a real 10 years ago. And um, I've gone through a lot of the same emotions of like, well, 10 years, I really, the three times it was supposed to get made before, Man, I would have been just the endorphins would have been running. Right, I know. And now it's great. I'm thrilled about right. it, though I'm I don't believe it's gonna happen. But I would love to feel that sort of just sense of You know, childlike wonder though, we went to I'd never been to Sundance before ever, and we took the movie out to, great to, thing to, to, do. Pre, to premiere it, not to sell it or anything. And Brad has a big history out there and yeah, whatever. Next and was, Wonderland, right? Right. I mean, he he's been he's had like nine movies or something. And we and we went out and um and uh, we went and we had the big theater and we had a nine o'clock screening and there were like 1,500, 1,700 people in the theater and the print looked really good. And it was really, uh, I was really profoundly overwhelmed to sit there with a huge audience and see the movie like that was like this thing in my head, like from when I was a young man. It was really, that was very, that I, I, I don't heavy. think I was unmoved by that. I really was. It was very, I was really profoundly uh, uh, impacted by Well, that. I was moved watching it, not just as a, a viewer, because when I was watching it, what I saw was that you, this is where you found your story. The story that you've 
told now. That I've cribbed over <laughs> no. and over and over again. That yes, same frankly, damn thing. Frankly, yeah. But you did. You can see the origins of Clayton the, in that movie. Clayton and Bourne. Both. Yeah, no, you no, see no, both. No, I mean, the events that cousins. happen at the beginning of this movie are Jason Bourne events. They just land on a protagonist who's slightly different. Right. But you can feel you finding your heroic, the template for the guy you think is your hero. That was what was moving to me. I was like, you know, when you see an artist who's worked for such, and I know the word artist makes you cringe, but it is true. You you see that an artist has been wrestling with these themes and ideas right. for fucking a very long time, you know, yeah. 25 years. It's heavy. Um, and it was heavy for me to see because here, you you know, um, what I, I just wrote down, you know, smart men who realize they don't know the whole story and then set about finding it out and writing it. It's like, what is it about that kind of a person that's so animating to you? You know, there's something about like competence and then wrongly directed competence that drives you crazy. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, 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 it's very, and I'm trying to break out of this a little bit and I, and I have, but I'm like instantly at home with the person who's the best at everything. You know, uh, he's the, he's got the best penmanship in the Coast Guard. (laughs) I know how to write that guy. You know, it's like, oh, he's the, you know, um, and, and, you know, we all grew up on, you know the hustler, and you know the, the 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 guy who's the best at everything. And look, that's what uh, I mean. I think we probably chewed that up to death when we talked about Clayton last time in here. You know the competence that's been perverted or or rusted or or. But or here, ruined. unlike unlike with Clayton, because right, this is an early work. As you're, but John Hamm is like really good at something. He's really good at something, but he doesn't realize. Well, he saw also. I mean, uh, I don't want to give away the movie, but. Uh, he's never an idealist, which is a great choice that you made. You're not. Right. He's only an idealist when it comes to the kid. There's right. a child involved in the right. beginning of the movie, and so he has an, a little bit of an ideal, idealized uh, notion about that. But he doesn't think of himself at the beginning of the movie as a mercenary. No, not at all. No. And, and then the middle of the movie is him sure that that's all he is, and right. that does. Uh, that does seem to be something that you, like I say, you you found. And uh, it's an example of like um, the world trying to keep a secret. Huh, I got to think about that. I think you're... Um, because they are, right? The world of the movie is trying to keep all sorts of information. Well, the, 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 what's... Uh, in some sort of self-analysis, the you know, you have a, a character who has this incredible competency and, and con- command of, of a thing in their hand. And it's just, that's not the right weapon. That's not the answer. That's not the, that's not the guidebook for the problem that's in front of them is a really interesting yes. thing. And, um, and, uh, I suppose I've wrestled, but, but the, the literature that I, that I so love and the things that were the most important, the most important reading experiences to me in many ways, you know, Robert Stone and John le Carre, and there, there's always, uh, there's always a hint of that, and there's always, a, as I said, I, I was, I was already at age 32 or however old I was when I was doing that, was already anticipating this great disappointment, <laughs> and this, this, this need for redemption, and this great failure of systems and whatever. Even at that point, I was already like, I could already, <laughs> I was already anticipating the chasm. But did you already know when you first wrote it? And again, I won't give it away because you said earlier something about the hero of the movie, but there's a lens through which you could view the movie where somebody else is really like the hero of the movie. And um, because 
because that character went through this traumatic thing right. and then had to this other character and then had to become a new version of in our television version when we do beirut the tv series the seven part we can explore all of that brian if you and david are willing to do all the hard work i'm willing to go to the writer's room and take care of this it will be fun i mean be fun for me for a couple weeks and be hell for you for six weeks you have to write a bunch of the episodes and then we can go but it does seem like like i don't even pick up an anti-israel i don't think there's an anti-israel thing it's amazing now it's like when, that's the other thing. I, I would say, say what you yeah, go ahead. When they came back to me, when they that, that, when they came back and said we have we're thinking Ham and, and Brad Anderson, and I did go back and reread it again. I should have pointed this. Out. Two things I I, I I looked at. I thought, wow, the politics of this are in quaint. They're not only quaint, but they actually have a resonance to now. And it's like there actually is something really important here and cool. And wow, why was anybody bothered by this? And then the second thing was, wow, 1982 is really sexy. It's sexy to look at, it's fax machines, there's no cell phones, it's this, it's like all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is a much better thing than it was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. But it does seem like there's this, uh, the other thing which we didn't talk about, I think last time about the competency, the flip side of it is this disdain that it seems in from your work that you have or that your work has for a kind of cold pragmatism. That the cold pragmatism of bureaucrats but those are the things that get made. I, you know, I wish I could be, I so wish I could be judged so by all the things that 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 I love that haven't been made. You know, because it's not the only thing I've been working on. But that seems to be the easiest thing to get made in some way. But I don't think that's the sum. It's certainly not. Well, I I, I don't know. Well, I, I, but 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 no. The question isn't to put your work in a box because I mean, duplicity doesn't really have cold pragmatism in it. But I'm more interested in the world we live in now. Like this did come back, you know, when you see that these kind of people, the the bad guys in Born kind of people, you know, you give them real faces in 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 this movie in right. a way. You really understand their reasons even. You know, Shea Wiggum's character isn't like an evil person. Well um by the you know, by, by, not he's by, not purely an evil no, person exactly, no. the way some other characters are. He's he um be, he has some agenda beyond just um, he's over his g- head. Yes, he's over his head, but he, he's not evil in the way some of the other guys are. It seems to me like he doesn't just immediately want no, to sell our guy out. No, I know. Um, but but do you see these kind of coldly pragmatic people as still a force of evil in the world? <laughs> oh my God, please. Please. I mean, look, I'm, we're all just but astonished. Trump's not coldly pragmatic. He's no, cold. he's just in the, he's just the driving the clown car. Right. I mean, he's a no. no. It's the people that are it's the people that are on the bus that are the appalling creatures and the people that need to be called to account. I mean, th- this is this has been the th- this has been an X-ray into uh, really really sad animal collective behavior and the people that know better and the people that. That, that that understand what's going on and the people that accept eyes open what's happening. Yes, the happening. pragmatism of a Paul, like Paul Ryan's pragmatism, but he's not, luckily, he's not there as smart. There are tumbrils for he's those not people. As, yes, but he's not as smart as your characters. You know what I mean? In the well, end. I don't know. I don't know. It, I, don't know. I'm, I don't know. Maybe. I don't it know. Doesn't, it doesn't seem to me I don't know. that he's as There smart. are a lot of people that have a lot of things to answer for uh, about, about their complicity and going along with things that they know are fucked. 100% true. Yeah. You and I are, there's no space between our no. opinions here. No. And that's astonishing to me. I mean, that's really the, 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 
I mean, there's two things about that whole thing: the the the, the lack of being, the lack of the collective, the lack of the collective consciousness to be able to judge character is very was very disturbing to me, not just in a political sense, but also in a storytelling sense after the election, because you always felt in a post-war world that it didn't matter really about ideology, that in the end, because everything was about nuclear weapons and the destruction of the planet, that even if the person you didn't like, that the process of the candidacy and the process of the election would winnow out in a way for the pub public collective conscious that people would go, oh, I can't trust this person with that. It was always a judgment of character that had nothing to do with ideology. This election turns that so upside down and you go, oh my God, there are people who don't know that this guy's a punk that don't know he's broke, that don't know he's the worst boss you ever had. It's like, wow, and you've seen him, and you still, and so you, 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 in the movies, he'd be so clearly a villain. Oh my God, and you, so you're, you're gutted politically, but then three days later, you're going like, well, I'm relying on the audience to judge my characters burst off the behavior that I'm showing them, and, 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 is, is, is there really such an off navigational point where people, have people really lost their ability to judge character? It's really shocking. I don't know the answer for it. It's a question. Well, we both made really things my that equilibrium is but upset. we both made things that asked that question. I mean, our show yeah. asked that question. I know. Every episode of our show asks that anyway, question. But and Nightcrawler asked that question. <laughs> you know, shit. So, but I don't think Trump's as smart as Jake's character in Nightcrawler. We're as smart as Bobby. I mean, Bobby Axelrod's a lot no, smarter God, than no. uh, Trump as well. Anyway, this is, let's let's go. We, we should, this will, we'll devolve. No, we're going to veer off because we want everyone to go see Beirut. Um, <laughs> whatever belief they may bring. Um, in with them. So we talked a little bit about theme last time, but uh, when you were writing Beirut, you did all this research, but, and someone asked me this question early this morning about theme. Are you writing down a theme for yourself, like uh, anywhere in the no, thing? No, we talked about that last, no, never. Still, That's, you're still not, you're no. letting it show up. No, I mean, no, I mean, some things have a, have a, I mean, if you look at, things require a purity. If you look at Rogue, yeah. You know, all the difficulty with Rogue and all the confusion of it and all the, the, the people that and all the smart people and all the mess. And in the end, when you get in there, it's actually very, very simple to solve because you sort of go, oh, this is a movie where folks just look, everyone's going to die. So it's a movie about sacrifice. So it, it, it's all a question about why are all these people going to sacrifice? And you need to motivate them in a, with a purity throughout the way. And every scene has to be, you know, every scene in a movie has to be about the movie. And, and and so is that a theme that everyone's going to die and sacrifice? Well, in, in that sense, in that film, I thought about it. Um, well, you were coming in and you were trying to solve something. And one of the ways to solve it is. Well, it was everything say, was in the air. So there was really everything I mean, was in the air. What made you take that assignment on? I mean, I was lucrative, but take that off the table. You're. You're able to get lucrative um, I work was, anytime you want. I was uh, thinking I would never leave my room. You know, I was in the place where I'm like, I'm never going to get out of my room. I was really having trouble getting a couple movies. I've had a lot of trouble getting movies off um, that I really, really love because for a variety of reasons. And I was like, I'm never getting out of the room. Maybe I'll never leave. And here was a call to go do something. I knew exactly when I saw what I saw. It was instantly clear to me. The, the first thing that had to happen, which was immediately attractive. And uh, I was willing to go. To, I went to London for what three weeks. What do you mean you saw the first thing that needed to happen? I mean, I happen. saw the purity that was missing. And I saw, at least in terms of one or two of the characters, because who knew how big the fix was going to be? Who knew what people would do? I saw something very... I was like, well, you have to... If you do nothing else, do this. Who were you talking to? Kathleen? At that yeah, time? Kathy and Allie. Allie, Allie Shermer, who's, who's yeah, very passed. sadly passed away. But, you know, Allie and Kathy, yeah. It's funny, years ago, 
years ago, though, I, don't, I didn't know Allie well. I had one meeting with her. And in that meeting, she brought you up. This is, Tony, this is 14 years ago. Right. And she was like, I love Tony Gilroy. He's, every word he writes, include, you just know this. Levine will remember this too. She said, even his emails are amazing. And she, she loved, I mean, she loved you. She was like, even his emails, every email you can feel this guy's the best writer walking around. Well, well, emails right, make well, me anyway. feel, sorry, I don't well, want to make you cry, huge, but she was a she huge, uh, she that. made Born. She's more, she's as responsible for Born as anybody. She made the first Born happen. And, and we had a chance to, to, to do Rogue for, for, for nine months together, shoulder to shoulder. And, and yes. it was really, uh, while she was ill and nobody knew, and it was a really amazing uh, uh, experience. Well, right? sorry that I'm yeah, really no. sorry that you lost a yeah, dear, yeah, a dear yeah, friend no. who you loved. She loved you though. I'm telling no, you, no, literally, the only time I met her, she spent no, ten minutes talking about no, how great no. you were. Um, so, but so, you you get on the phone with them, and then were you had, were you scared at all about jumping into it? What are we talking about now? Star Wars. Oh, I have to be Rogue. careful. I don't want the statute of limitations, and I have. To, I, I'll be. What do you mean the statute of limitations? Like, well, I've never really. I don't really. Haven't really told. You know, I've. I've been. I've never done an interview about Rogue. Oh, ever. I didn't know. We yeah, don't have to no. talk about it. We can move on. Uh, but I would just say this. Yeah, I, I did. Mean, were you scared to do? You look. You don't have to say anything. I know your people who know you, not from you, and people who are in the business understand that you didn't only produce that movie and write. You. Right. You came in and you. You know what the easiest thing to say is you'll understand this better than anything else, and I know you have a lot of geeks. I came in after the director's cut. I have a screenplay credit in the arbitration that was easily won. Right. So that'll. So no, that's yes. That's no, it's the clear that you remade the movie. Did I? Were sweat you scared it? about it? Because it's no, Star Wars. That's, because, I, I'm not asking the emotional question. No, not the I, I, no, I was actually. In fact, that was my superpower. A, I don't like Star. Not I don't like. I just never been interested in Star Wars ever. So I don't. I had no reverence for it whatsoever. I was unafraid about that, and they were in such. They were in such a swamp. They, they were, needed you. Well, they were just in so much terrible, terrible trouble that all you could do is is is, is improve their position. Um, and what else can I say that's safe and germane? The uh, the gumption, the balls of Disney and Bob Iger and and the people there to gamble on what they gambled on is astonishing. There were no there were no assholes involved in the process at all. There were some minor department heads who, who needed to be called in, along the way. But but on all the upper level, there were no assholes. It was just it was just a mess and fear and and they just gotten themselves. And because it wasn't really my movie for a while, I slept every night. Like like right. in my own movie I wouldn't sleep, but like because it was somebody well, else. Well you weren't gonna have a director's credit on the movie. So right. it wasn't directed right. well, by you. But at a certain point it kinda of tipped you go like at a certain point everybody's looking at you like well, you know, yeah. and then you're like but through through a lot of it, I was pretty calm and chill and I was in London, I was in a great time, I was throwing strikes every day. Right. I was so happy to be engaged. My own my own my endorphins were fine. I was happy with what I was doing in front of me. I had this. I mean, my God. Of course, the resources. It's a Ferrari, and all that. man. No, oh clearly, my God. that was amazing. Anyway, yes. Oh my God. So you loved the experience. Would I you make a, a Star time. Wars movie? Never, I'm sure they asked never, you, and you no, didn't want to go. No, there's do nothing. It. I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it. You don't like the world if it doesn't matter. No, to you. it doesn't matter. Beyond no, doing nothing. It doesn't that appeal thing. to me. No, but I don't think Rogue really is a Star Wars movie in many ways. To me, it's a it's a it's a Battle of Britain movie. Was it? Um. Sure. Sure. I get that. Was it? Um. I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan, so I love his movie also, and I'm rooting right. for Ryan to go take it. He's an old pal. Um, 
how do you like was it hard for you so you're used to now being in this position of control was it and creative control was it hard for you to have entrust someone else with your material on beirut now having now like you yeah. went over there and yeah. you know you ran the we can't say you directed the star wars movie but you ran the process so was it like so that was very Brad comfortable and i, I were past that point but we are 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 you know uh but you left you weren't there to translate your vision to the actors no but uh no the difficulties were probably when we were tweaking the script and just sort of flirting around but you become a much better I become a much better writer for other directors, like for hire, than I ever was before I directed. That changes way everything. better. I'm much more. I, I, I'm much more critical in a way, but I, but I, you know, if you're not getting your job done, I'm like, you know, what the hell? I mean, it's. But I'm. But but at the same time, I'm much more sympathetic to what the issues are and what they need. And I would never like things that used to bug me. I would never deal with. And Brad, look, Brad made a movie that I could never make. I. I. I it would have taken me. I, I'm not. I'm not kidding. And I'm not. And That's I, funny. Even though Clayton put, was a, uh, you shot forty days for Clayton or something. Yeah, but we put every, I put every single penny on the screen. But there is absolutely no way I could have made the Beirut movie for twice what he made it. Right. Not for twice. And so his, uh, I was just astonished. I'm so in awe of what he did. How I mean, did, in post we got into it, you know, and there were some things in post that we went back and forth about and along the way. But man, he, I couldn't have done it. How do you translate? So in something like that, how did you translate to him and to like? Um, Ham and Rosamond, what the your vision was like? Did you know? It's how did you talk page. about what the thing it's is? On the page, yeah, but it's not it? only on the page, right? As a director, you're gonna sometimes you know, talk about what the look, man. We, we I went down there. We did a we had a party. We talked that night. I I talked a couple. Of, I, I talked to Rosamond in London. Had long. I, I met with Rosamond in London when she was signing on to the part. Had dinner with her. Um, and I talked to John at length about the characters and what I knew about the backstory and were there were there people that they could talk to 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 help them with that and who I knew in the CIA and were there people and trying to make connections for them and along the way. But we went to the table read and in um, you know there's there's Dean and Larry Pine and people have a, a few little questions about things. But but two things: one, if it's not on the page, um, I've made a mistake. And number two, the the velocity with which a movie like this has to be made at this budget, there really isn't much time other than like a couple takes, get it done, moving on, we're losing location. It's, I mean, this is, this is high speed balls out movie making what Brad did. I mean, there's no time to look down. And sometimes actors are doing things that are wonderful that they don't even know what they're doing. And that's fine. No, that's, um, that's how I felt about the movie. And uh, how is it being released? How's it coming out? It's going to come out on like, I think it's going to be on, it's coming out on Wednesday the 11th because there was an outcry. You know, we've had some controversy about the film as well, which is actually cool. But um, it was supposed to come out on the 13th and then it turned out that, that that's that's an anniversary of one of the many massacres in Leban Lebanese history. So it's coming out on Wednesday the 11th. I think it's coming out on seven, 800 screens. I think it's coming out wide. I saw Lincoln Square. There's a, uh, my aunt, Kat and I went to go see uh, uh, went to the movies the other day, and we walked in, and there's the Beirut thing. And I'm like, again, my incredulity is having activated. having seen the movie. Um, I didn't really read about you the think con it'll play wide? controversy. I mean, it, it, listen, this is the kind of movie you and I went to the movies. I know. And this is you know, it's a Chinatown movie. Are people going to leave their house to go see this? I, I don't. I hope they will. Like, I, I hope that they will. I no. I mean, no. The odds are that they won't. Right. But but like they should. Anyway, look. Here's the thing, right? 
you and I, uh, like I won't watch Polanski's movies anymore, but Chinatown is one of the, you know, it's, uh, this is enough, uh, to me, this is another um, offshoot of Chinatown, which right. all of us who do this, like, right. think about that movie and Three Days the Condor and all these things over uh, and over I again. I don't think anyone goes to the theater to see Condor if it's not. I know. Well, we'll see. Now. Maybe it's so but, unusual that they'll, that they'll catch it. But they number. should, and I think you'll get great reviews, and I think it's an excellent film. So It'll that's the thing. And I, and I will say, the little I'm I read I'm ready for about, my incredulity to be moved to the next level. The little I read <laughs> about the uh, the controversy, I would say, you, the, you, I think, took... Um, I did want to ask you this. So was the idea of the Kareem character always in the show? Totally. From the beginning. Absolutely. And um, that relationship from from the beginning was was in the Oh, movie. yeah. And my... And I... The, the other... A, the scholarship... Like, I, as I said, before, I did this whole thing with the library the first time in 91. When I go back to rewrite it, I have to, like... Man, I better be on point. I better like make sure I was right. Did I really know what I was talking about? Because some of the things are contentious, and there are a lot of people that are going to be coming at the movie and like, you know, is this? And now I have the benefit of the internet, so like in three days I could do what took me a year. And I re and there's also a bunch of new books that come out. There, I mean, there's this great book that Kai Bird wrote about Robert Ames called The Good Spy, which is just like all about this movie. And I'm like, everything I did was dead on. So I researched it twice. So I'm really good on my scholarship. Um, and we always thought when the movie was coming out, we're going to get hit by really, really right-wing Likud people who are still in in Israel, still arguing about the Lebanese invasion, like Vietnam. Like there are some people who still think it was a good idea. Very few, but you know, that's where we're going to get hit. And when we got hit the other way, it was like, wow, this right, is fascinating. The movie, I, I no, it's utterly balanced. The I movie know. is beyond balanced, and in fact, you are you bring us inside the journey of someone who ends up being a right. terrorist in a way that I've rarely seen in American mainstream movie. And um, which is why I, I'm saying you could make the argument there are two heroes. And right. in fact, that the traditional bad guy isn't really a bad guy. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And no. so I think yeah. that's an awesome thing. So um, anything else you think we need to cover? I think we've done it all again, Brian. We have to save something. So I got to come back in four years for the for the for the final the final trilogy. No, that's you know, that'll be just that'll be the first trilogy, the end of the first oh, trilogy. God, dude, four geez. years. Anyway, all congratulations right, to you, by the way. Oh well, thank you. And um, I should mention your son's been amazing in the show um, over the course of it. Who plays? Uh, I got to say one last thing. Willie Deville, man, go. Thanks. Yeah, right. Willie Deville. I was so happy when I, I saw Willie Deville play at the Paradise you did, Club in Boston, probably 1977, 1978. Mink oh DeVille, two incredible albums. And um, obviously his demons. Willie DeVille and Garland Jeffries. I always think of the two of those together. Oh, that's interesting. Am I yeah. they on a bill together or just am I thinking? That I saw together? Garland play recently. Oh my God. I and mean. he just tore the tore the place apart. I tried to use, I haven't been able to use a Garland Jeffries song. Um, it's one of the things you would love about doing TV. Oh, I love what your music selection. You would fantastic. love being able oh, to do that. You guys are doing a, you're killing it with the music. Well, you that's got great. it. Thank you. And um, anyway, thanks thank for doing you, this. Tony Gilroy, you, can, uh, you can't really find him online. Don't even try. Still, you can find me at Brian Kaufman at MomentBK at gmail.com. Don't send me any ideas. I won't use them, and um, neither of us will like you. Maybe Tony will name a bad guy after you. Okay, thanks, everybody.